that's all they really need at the very, very beginning. And if you can give them that, then you can give them everything. Welcome, and thanks for joining us on another episode of Doula to Doula, where we talk about pregnancy, birth, motherhood, and the doula life. I'm Exie Bueller, a certified labor and birth doula and childbirth educator. I am also a licensed and board certified massage therapist and owner of Tranquil Touch Birth and Women's Wellness. My co-host is Chana Vaughn. I'm a doula in training, just beginning my journey as a birth professional. Together, we're going to help each other grow, give each other support, and see how we apply our doula skills to everyday life. We hope you enjoy the show. On today's episode of Doula to Doula, we're talking about prodromal labor. But first, a little bit of business. I'm like, oh, I changed my business name. Now I got to change everything. (laughs) I know. And I saw your email. I was like, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, but I have to tell you, I am so relieved Mm -hmm. to have done that. It is like, because I knew pretty much in my second or third year of business Mm -hmm. that my business name did not fully match my my vision and my mission and what I wanted to do with my business down Mm -hmm. the road and to tell you honestly I didn't even come up with the full business name it was kind of handed to me oh when I went down when I went down to the county building when I was first registering it as a DBA Mm -hmm. um and then when I registered it as an LLC I just did the same thing because by then my business had started having a foundation in the community Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to like mess that up at all. And I really have spent like the last 16 years going, I will love my business name. I will love my <laughs> business name. <laughs> so, and now with it, the way that it is, I feel like it's, it's going to open up mm-hmm. so many different ways of expanding just even in, you know, my own mind, mm-hmm. but also for clients and I've been looking for like affirmation, right? Mm -hmm. That this pandemic pivot that I've been doing was actually going to work. Mm -hmm. And closing my massage office for the second time and doing it voluntarily was really um, a scary decision in that, you know, I still have rent to pay. Mm -hmm. I still have overhead bills, you know, utility bills and things like that for my office I have to pay for. But I think obviously now, three, three weeks later, looking mm-hmm. at these numbers and looking at the surge, it was, I mean, I would be, I would be so anxious. So in yes. a different way, I would be like just torn up. So I had an, an email from a client. And so even though she's out of state now, it's like now we've done all this virtual stuff. So even though she's out of state, she invited me to be on her birth team again. So... Oh, wow. Oh, it was just like, it was kind of like the stamp that said, this is the right road to be on. (laughs) So. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. And you see, yeah, being virtual, it does. It opens a lot of doors, a lot, a lot of doors and adds a sense of like normalcy to being a part that I don't think we would have gotten to that. Right. Like organically. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think you and I have talked about this before. Um, and today's episode, we're talking about prodromal labor 
Mm-hmm. And um, we'll define that in a minute. I'll go ahead and let you define that for our listeners. But, um, you know, in thinking about it, when this all started as doulas, we typically do provide virtual support throughout pregnancy. Most of us, as soon as a client contracts us, we're available for them. We might not, you know, run to answer the phone, right, you know, every single time that they call, but we'll we'll answer, mm-hmm. we'll call them back, we'll text and email and whatnot with them and answer questions that they might have that come up throughout their pregnancy. Maybe they forgot to ask their provider something and they've already left their office. I've had situations. I had one situation where um, my client, it was her first pregnancy and Mm -hmm. she went to the doctor and met him and everything was fine. She went back for her second or third visit and found out she was having twins. And in the interim, she had hired me. So we had already been talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, these are some of the things that you can ask. And these, you know, these are some options that you might have down the road to look at, blah, blah, blah. And when she started asking her doctor these questions, he said to her, I'm the doctor and you're the patient and you ask too many questions. You need to find another doctor. He fired her. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. I remember her calling me up and she was crying and she was, cause it's really, I mean, that's very upsetting. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, I gave her some numbers of referrals. It was earlier on in my career. So I didn't have quite the, the network of OBs and midwives that I have now, but I gave her some referrals and she ended up having an amazing OB who I had actually met in the past. That was the first time I got to work with him. And she was able to do a vaginal birth of twins, which is super wonderful. Yes. So it's like all of that support that I had given her during that very, very upsetting and tumultuous time early on in her pregnancy was basically virtual. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, back then we didn't have like the video connection, right? And we didn't really do much Mm -hmm. texting. So it was really all over the phone, but it was essentially a virtual it was virtual support. So for for doulas and for birth givers and pregnant people who are kind of wondering, what does this virtual support look like? It really is what we've been doing all along, minus mm-hmm. the actual birth part of it. That's really what's changed is that part of it. Um, so mm-hmm. why don't we jump right in here and why don't you, um, I'm going to talk about a little bit about the psychological influences to prodromal labor, but you go right on in and define it for us and and talk about it. Yeah, I was really excited to talk about uh, prodromal labor because I experienced it with my son, which was shocking to me because I had already had, you know, a labor and delivery. But so pretty much it's like the medical term for false labor, which is not quite accurate because the contractions that you experience doing during prodromal labor, they are actually real and they can make a difference, you know, with the cervix and everything. But um, typically it's like contractions that start usually at night, which I experienced, and they don't really progress or as the morning comes, they kind of just fade away. And I know when I was experiencing it and when I was doing some research about it, it says that most women, they try to get labor going when they start to feel this. So they may not rest adequately. They may not be eating and drinking and really not refueling their body for the marathon that labor is. So the best things to do when you experience that, um, or it, and actually 
it can happen for several days. I even read some cases where it was like weeks or even a month <laughs> before the actual labor and delivery um, occurred. And I know I, I think I experienced it for probably about two days before I actually um, given yeah. birth. Yeah, I'm going to cut in here but, real quick because I actually had a client yeah. who had prodromal labor two weeks. Mm-hmm. We were speaking to each other on a daily basis because it really, it really does play with your mind, not only your body, but it it plays with your mind, especially when it goes on for that Mm -hmm. long. Mm -hmm. Especially if you, if it's not your first time that you've given birth, you know, you think, okay, I've, I've been there before. This is not my first rodeo. So I know what a contraction feels like. And that was a contraction. So then you're waiting and you pull out your little, you know, clock and you're trying to time them and they seem like they may have some sort of pattern to them and then they just stop and they disappear. And then you're like, well, what? Okay, so now I want to get it going. So for me, I was like walking and, you know, doing all these things and bouncing on a birthing ball and just really trying to get this labor started and then it just faded away. So there are things that the support person can do such as like distractions and make sure that the birth giver is eating and drinking and staying hydrated. Or, you know, sometimes the birth giver may want to finish the final prep on the nursery or cook and freeze some food and, you know, just try to help keep your mind off of it. I ended up going to uh, labor and Mm -hmm. delivery when I thought that this was happening to me. And they, you know, they kind of monitored me. They were like, well, you're not a first time. This isn't your first time. So you could active labor could be right around the corner. And they gave me, um, I want to say it was like a sleep aid and maybe a little bit of a, a painkiller. And, and they monitored me some more. And then they were like, well, it's best that you just go home. As we were driving away, like I, just, I stopped really feeling what I thought were, oh, they were real contractions, but they weren't progressive enough contractions. So I went home and I slept like a baby. I woke up ready to go like I could tell like oh this is different and that's the thing when it's active labor when you're actually in labor looking back I could see the stark difference between the prodromal labor and the active labor but oddly enough I don't feel like that was really discussed during my childbirth classes they went all over the stages of early labor and active labor and transition and so I just assumed that because I was feeling something that was different, it wasn't Braxton Hicks, because for me, those were, that was more of a tightness and it would go away if I would lay down or drink water or rest. But I don't recall them really going over this, you know, prodromal labor that is so, I feel like it happens to a lot of women, whether it's, you know, or birth givers, whether it's first time or second time. And I actually heard it's more common the more births that you have. So Thank goodness I won't put that to the test. <laughs> no more babies for you. <laughs> no more. But I just thought that that was so interesting. Yeah. And and in some women, it's not just the contractions. You know, it can be with the changes in stool or, you know, your mucus plug or nesting or spotting. Um, some women, women experience all of them and the contractions. But there's indicators that for your body that something is happening and something will be approaching soon, but it doesn't mean, you know, that baby will be out in, in that day even, which I think for a lot of women, like you said, can have these, um, you know, it can have an emotional impact on you. Yeah, sure. yeah. And and your emotions can impact 
your labor. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So what you were saying about the different physical things, um, you know, with like the spotting with, you know, sometimes, and, and, you're right. Most childbirth classes don't cover it. And if they do cover it, it's Mm -hmm. really, really quick. And it's not Mm -hmm. something that really stays, I think, in, in the attendees minds. I go over it a lot. And part of it, I think, is because with my second, I had some prodromal, looking back, I suppose I could call it prodromal labor. Um, My cousin had died in March, middle of March. Mm. And it was, she was 24 years old and it was unexpected. And, um, I had been trying to see her for several months, but she, she had seemed to have this like cold that wouldn't go away. And it turns out, you know, she didn't have health insurance, so she didn't have all the tests Mm -hmm. done. That's a whole nother story, but basically Mm -hmm. the end result was she ended up in kidney failure and she died un- unexpectedly to any of us. None of us realized how sick she was um, on March 15th. And I was due in April at the end of like middle to the third third week to fourth week of April. And mm-hmm. I had seen my doctor at the same time. And, and then she was really the first person I was really, really close to that I had lost. And when I went into my doctor, he told me, he said, do not be surprised because this is your second baby and this is a tremendous emotional event if you do go into labor a little bit earlier. And I don't know if that triggered it or if it was the, you know, the grief, but I I did have labor. I remember going into his office twice, I think, for NSTs where they hooked me up Mm. to see if I was having, you know, if I was having contractions, if what I was feeling was contractions, how frequently and all of that stuff. And, you know, the thing is, is you don't, they don't progress, like you said. So they don't Mm. gain in frequency. They don't gain in intensity. They don't gain in duration. And that's something that I try to explain to my clients because they're, they're doing work. They are. They are mm-hmm. helping your body get to know what labor feels like. They're helping your mm-hmm. baby who is in this lovely womb have their entire world squeeze in on them. So to get used to that and it can help to soften the cervix and um, change the positioning of the cervix and um, efface the cervix. And it can even help your baby kind of nudge the baby around. So, with clients that I have had who have experienced what, you know, what sounds like prodromal labor as doulas, we can't diagnose, right? So I always tell my clients, if you're concerned, then go get checked or call your provider. This is what it sounds like is going on with you. And this is what I recommend. And if you are concerned at all, contact your provider. Um, but I remember having one client um, not too far back in recent history, and it was her second or third baby I was with her on. And at one point I said to her, you know, you know how I talk about labor being this beautiful, delicate dance between you and baby where your body contracts and that encourages baby's head to their neck to flex and put more pressure on your cervix, which makes your uterus contract. And it's this positive feedback loop. I said, these contractions are like your body gently nudging your baby so that your baby will get into the best position for 
the dance. <laughs> so it's like the pre-dance. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. just having that conceptually in her mind, she said helped. Now she still, she still mm. was feeling what she was feeling and it was very real and it was very strong and very annoying. Um, but it helped ease her mind a little bit and kind of mm-hmm. help her not be quite so annoyed and almost angry, right? Because just mm-hmm. come on already. Just let's get this going. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, the frustration. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, are there other other things that you can tell us about prodromal labor? Um, yeah. So I just for me personally as well, because it's always easier for me to talk about things that I have experienced personally. I didn't with my daughter, I didn't have it. And if our listeners recall with her, I had really bad back labor and, you know, my water broke. So that's how I knew like, okay, you know, birth is imminent at that point. Um, But with my son, when I had it, it, you're right about how it moves everything, you know, helps move the baby into the the correct position because I didn't have back labor with him. And things went very quickly with him, even though he was my second birth, but it was just a much more comfortable experience overall. Um, but I just say for those who may be going through it, it's it's really normal. It's the body doing what it needs to do. And also, um, you know, just making sure that you're being relaxed and, and you can take note of it. You know, it, it's, it's okay to take note of it and talk to your support person or your doctor or, or whatever about it, whoever you, you may like to about it. But just remember to take care of yourself during that time. It's not the time to stop eating and drinking. It's not the time, you know, to not rest your body because you really want to make sure that you have all the energy that you need to have for um, the actual labor and delivery which hopefully will come soon thereafter. But if not, that's okay too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point because, you know, having done so many births, over 100 births, I can't even count. I'd have to like really go back and look to see how many of my clients um, have experienced prodromal labor symptoms. But one in particular stands out to me. I had a a meeting, I had to go to an assembly that day, and the cell service was really, really bad. And so she had been letting me know that she was having these, you know, feelings. And I Mm -hmm. was there first, and I was trying to, you know, determine, engage, is this prodromal labor? Is this early labor? What is going on? And as doulas, we have to kind of gauge where our clients are at based on their perception and what they're explaining. And for first time mm-hmm. birth givers, it's, it is, or birth givers who have had a belly birth or a cesarean birth before, it is really hard for them to, to differentiate what these, cause they've never really felt these contractions before. Right. Yeah. And because prodromal labor contractions can be very strong and they can keep you up all night. Mm-hmm. They feel they can feel like it's the real it's the, this is active labor. So as doulas, we just have to kind of do our best to gauge based on what a client is saying. So, you know, I told them that I was going into a building that was going to have really bad cell service and that text usually would go through. But I would check my phone every hour to mm-hmm. see if anything was happening. And it was at the very beginning of my on-call period with them. 
So she was just around 37, 38 weeks. And I remember at one point, I, I, I think it was the next day, I was in the same building still because um, it was a multiple day of meetings. And I, I checked and I thought for sure I'm going to be going to the hospital from here. So I, you know, I always have my stuff in the car, but I was really prepared at that point. I'm like, I, this is going to be a don't pass go type of situation. So I'm just going to make sure I have absolutely everything I could possibly need. And I was expecting them to call me like within an hour or two and it didn't happen. And I thought, did I not get the call? Did I miss the call? I was freaking out. Cause that's like a doula's worst nightmare mm. is a client calls. And for whatever reason, the call doesn't come through and mm. they think that you just aren't showing up. So anybody out there who's a doula knows that we don't sleep really well when we're on call <laughs> <laughs> because we're constantly panicking and checking our phones and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I called, I called them cause I wanted to make sure. And she was explaining that they were still coming and all of this. And so I said, okay, well here, you know, have you slept? Have you eaten, you know, eat, drink, move. Those are the three things that mm -hmm. I tell yep. clients. If you think you're in labor and you're not sure, eat, drink, move, because if it's Braxton Hicks contractions, which are different than prodromal labor contractions, Braxton Hicks contractions will be super irregular. They will range in their intensity. You know, sometimes it's just a twinge. Sometimes it'll kind of stop you in your tracks. But they, it's it's almost like a, um, almost like a zap. It's not. It's they don't last. They're not contractions that are last any mm -hmm. significant time. You know, mm -hmm. less than thirty seconds. Probably maybe 10, 10 to fifteen seconds usually. Um, or vice versa, you'll get a contraction and it, it won't seem to go away. Mm -hmm. And that could also be a Braxton Hicks contraction. But as a massage therapist, I know that dehydrated muscles will contract. Absolutely. And the uterus is the largest, strongest muscle in a, a woman, in a person's body at term. So if you're a little bit dehydrated, it's going to act like any other muscle mm -hmm. and it's going to cramp, but it's going to feel like a contraction. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're yeah. really dehydrated, it'll cramp and it won't let go. So eat, drink, or move. Sometimes the baby's just on a nerve or on a striation of muscle or part of a muscle that's making it spasm. So mm -hmm. if you move, that can sometimes encourage baby to change position and then it goes away. Um, and then if you're hungry and you haven't eaten in a while, you haven't, you know, kept up your nourishment, then obviously you can also have cramping. So we went through all of that and, you know, in her opinion, she was drinking regularly, um, snacking, whatever. So the plan was made. Um, my meetings that day were going to be over, I think around four, four thirty, And she was about 10 to 15 minutes away is where she lived. So I said, okay, if I don't hear from you, I will give you a call and I will be on my way. I just want to physically watch you for a little bit and see what's happening. And I did that. I spent three hours with them. Oh, wow. And those contractions, they were taking her breath away. Mm -hmm. And I'm timing them and I'm watching them. And I, I finally went in and I told her, I said, I'm so sorry, but these are not labor contractions. These are not progressive contractions. I know I can see that you're working really hard and I can see that they're very strong, but they're not lasting long enough to really affect that change that would... Mm -hmm mean that you're in active labor. 
So I told them, I'm going to go home and you guys, you know, make sure you eat, make sure you drink, make sure you're changing positions, take a bath, take a shower, relax Mm -hmm. as much as you can, watch a funny movie, get that oxytocin going, anything you can do to relax and we'll check back in tomorrow. So that the next morning I checked in with her and still, she didn't really sleep really well, but it wasn't as bad as it Mm -hmm. had been. The whole day went by and still nothing. So I came home and I had a bunch of people over for dinner that night and she called and she's talking to me. And I, I said to her, I said, how, how much have you been drinking? It was, it was summer. It was really hot. And it turns out that she had not, once she really calculated, she really wasn't drinking very much. Mm. And I told her, I said, I think you need to call your midwives. And I think you need to ask them if there's a possibility that your hydration is too low. And she did. And they told her to go into the hospital and get a bag of fluids. Oh, wow. And then I want to say once the fluids went in, then her contractions changed patterns. Like you said, they seemed different. Uh And then it was still two more days, I think, before she had her baby, but we spent one whole night at the hospital in labor. So somewhere after she got that bag of fluids, um, and, and I don't remember if she went home and then went back to the hospital or if she just stayed, but labor started within like 24 hours Mm -hmm. and we went and it was, it ended up being an unmedicated, everything went, you know, as planned birth after that. But it was a, it was a really like, it was an engine that just wouldn't get started. Yep. And for her, I think the resolution was hydration. And it's amazing how the body will kind of pause if it doesn't have exactly what it needs or if it doesn't feel like it's a good situation to, you know, kind of continue and move on to that active labor stage. And that's another thing that's good for anyone that's expecting to remember if you're experiencing, you know, padromal labor. If you do, you take, you know, do things to try to stop labor and it works then that's not active labor. You can't really stop active labor once it really, once the ball gets rolling. So that's something that I wish I would have realized because, and well, sometimes when you're expecting, (laughs) you don't want to stop it. (laughs) So I didn't really want to do the relaxation and all of that. Um, I'm happy that I did because I ended up having enough energy, but, you know, I wanted to really kind of get the ball rolling and when it didn't seem like it was moving fast enough for me, I really felt disappointed kind of in myself. Like this is the second baby. I should know, you know, my body does not know what it's doing. It can be really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really, really good point um, because I know a lot of my clients, you know, um, massage clients more so because my doula clients, I kind of, I try to go over all of this with them. I have had clients, my doula clients, I've had, I had one who was texting me. She went out to eat with her mother and mother-in-law and she's texting me. I think I might be in labor. And then she went to the bathroom. She can't, I think I might've just lost my mucus plug. And I'm like, okay, you know, and you know, I'm giving her tips and everything. And somehow in the conversation, it turned out that she was at dinner with her mother, mother mother-in-law, like this last (laughs) hurrah. And she didn't want to take the evening away from them. (laughs) Oh, wow. She didn't want them to know. (laughs) 
<laughs> so she was, it was so adorable. But yeah, I do try and go over this with my doula clients, but mm-hmm. it's primarily my massage clients. I'll have massage clients who come in and they, you know, they don't have a doula or they have a doula, but they haven't talked about these kinds of things and they've taken mm-hmm. a birth class or maybe they have. I mean, it just runs the gamut and they will, or I'll get clients who will come after they've had a baby. That's probably the majority of it, actually, now that I think about it. And they will tell me how they had this kind of this weird labor and that it kept them up all night. And then they, they, you know, were on the ball and they were taking walks and they were, you know, having sex and they were doing all of these things, like really active things to try and get it going. And all of their friends and family members and everybody who's been anticipating meeting this baby for so many months is cheering them on like all you've got to do is just buckle down and you can get Mm -hmm. this started and then labor actually comes eventually and they're exhausted yep Mm -hmm. and then it makes it really really hard and it does when they come to me for massage after they've had that experience, usually there's a significant amount of disappointment with how their birth ended up. And I feel really bad for them because nobody told them. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was one of the reasons I didn't really tell people when I went into labor. Um, I didn't really want them to know because I didn't want to feel that pressure. And some people were offended, you know, the, by the fact that I was in the hospital and I had just received an epidural and, you know, was getting prepped to push and they found out after the fact, but I really had to just kind of protect my peace. I didn't want to say anything. I told my husband, I told my healthcare provider, but I didn't feel comfortable just shouting it from the rooftops because then at that moment, you know, all the focus kind of, it comes on you. Not that it's a negative thing because it's really well-meaning, you know, people have good intentions, but just the pressure of, well, what if this doesn't, progress into anything it can be it, it's a lot to handle it is and and that can have an adverse effect on like you were saying on the labor and delivery and that's something that I just did not want yeah yeah you're right I had um I had a client who went to the hospital and and th- this is the thing about prodromal labor and this is what I tell my clients because they're like what the what 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 kind of labor <laughs> and I'll because I'm using the terminology I'll say mm-hmm. It's what most people call false labor. Mm -hmm. But I hate that term because there's nothing false about something that keeps you up all night or, you know, gets your vigilance up so Mm -hmm. that, you know, you keep your husband home from work or whoever, you know, you get the dog sitter, whatever you do Mm -hmm. to prepare for going into the hospital or to the birth facility. So there's nothing false about it, but it can really be a problem to have all of these people cheering you on and Mm -hmm. anticipating because then you almost feel you can get performance anxiety. Yes, absolutely. You know, and even like the last, oh my goodness, it almost seems like the last four to six weeks of pregnancy, people are texting, do you have any signs yet? (laughs) Anything going on? Like they're Mm -hmm. so excited and that's such a beautiful thing, but it can be so detrimental psychologically to a birth giver. And uh, the birth that I, I did in the spring, I actually told that mom, go, go screens off. Yep. Have, just tell everyone that you are going to spend the last little bit of time just 
focusing on this, this last little bit before your baby comes and when you do go into labor and when you do want to let them know, your husband will let everybody know. And if they have any questions, they want to check on how you're doing, have them go through him. Yep. I did that. Yeah. That's the best advice ever. And especially that the last few weeks of pregnancy, it's hard to get comfortable. It's hard to, you know, get sleep and either your bladder screaming at you or, you know, just all these, you're, you're just, I was just so uncomfortable. So every time I would finally have myself surrounded by enough pillows to where the pressure wasn't on my hip or, and get comfortable enough to take a nap, my phone would go bananas phones ringing and then if I didn't answer people just automatically were like call again (laughs) and I'm like no I'm trying to sleep right so I was so grumpy I remember telling my sister um like can you stop calling me (laughs) and and she her feelings were so hurt but it wasn't that I didn't want to talk to her I had just fallen asleep and you know, so then I, I started to ask people to, to call my husband, he'll answer, he, you know, he'll, but he'll be the alarm and, and sound it if need be, but all the pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once again, once again, I have to pat you on the back because you were ahead of the curve. You figured it out and didn't need anyone to tell you. I was just grumpy. <laughs> But so prodromal labor, you know, when we talk about it in this sense, we're, we're really talking about pre-labor, right? Before mm-hmm. labor actually begins. But it can be prolonging any stage. Mm-hmm. You can end up with, you know, a prolonged early phase of labor where it's just not quite getting into the active phase. You can end up with a prolonged active phase of labor where, you know, you've got that one centimeter left to go and it just isn't happening. Mm-hmm. And you can have a prolonged pushing phase, just depending on what's going on. Um, but we're really concentrating, I think, mostly on the pre-labor and maybe even the the early labor stage. And mm-hmm. so, talking about these psychological things. So right now, you know, with this pandemic, we we're in a state of being where we are hyper vigilant and hyper aware of things. Mm-hmm. And that, and and people have nothing better to do than to text you and say, "How are you feeling today? Are you, you know, is anything going on?" On top of that, I think there's a real, even if we're not consciously aware of it or consciously thinking about it, there is a real, I think, psychological impact that this pandemic is having on birth givers where. Some people are really afraid to go into labor. Like they know I'm staying home. I'm wearing a mask whenever I do go out. My baby is safe inside of my belly. Mm-hmm. As soon as my baby comes out, then it's in the in this world, this crazy topsy-turvy yeah. world that we're living in. And labor is as much a psychological event as it is a physical event. And those kinds of anxieties and fears and concerns, they release stress hormones into our body. They release adrenaline, they release cortisol, you know, they release these catecholamines that actually suppress and act against oxytocin and endorphins. So at the beginning of labor, you know, by suppressing the oxytocin, it can prevent labor from actually 
taking off from that engine actually turning over and going. And if it's in the middle of labor, it can cause this prolonged kind of, you know, sustained early stage of labor or even active labor. And it also suppresses the endorphins. So, you know, the endorphins are the body's own natural morphine. They're the painkillers that we produce within ourselves. And so when those are suppressed, then it makes labor more painful. So these prodromal contractions, these, you know, contractions that are just not going anywhere, but they're keeping you up all night, and maybe they are feeling really, really strong, they're even more intense perceptionally. Perceptually? Yeah. Per- what is the word? I'm looking? Yep. Your perception of them. Yep. <laughs> your perception of them is that they're more intense because mm-hmm. the endorphins are being suppressed by the stress hormones. So it's it's almost like this, you know, we talked about this positive feedback loop, this dance between mother and baby. But if it's a, if it's really a dance between mother and fear or mother and mm-hmm. anxiety, then you have a whole different type of circle and cycle going on where it's stress hormones, suppressing the labor hormones, prolonging the labor, increasing the fear, increasing the tension, you know, and and that becomes Mm -hmm. the cycle. So especially important right now with this pandemic, super important for birth givers to have a trusted support person. Your partner is great, but your partner is eyeball deep in it too. So get yourself a doula who will be able to help you figure out, is this the pre-dance or is this the dance dance? And if it's the pre-dance, what can I do to help my body relax so that these will kind of subside so I can get my rest? And if it's the dance, then what can I do to nourish my body and hydrate my body and, and to get this engine to finally turn over and for things to start actually being more progressive and going the way that we want them to go. Um, The other things, you know, outside of the pandemic, you know, because most of my clients who have experienced this, being that I've been doing this for so many years, were pre-pandemic. There's the psychological, we talked about the the performance anxiety. So the idea of having all these people waiting on you. Their whole mm-hmm. lives are put on hold waiting for this baby. Grandma is waiting to be a grandma until this baby mm-hmm. is born. <laughs> auntie is not an auntie until the baby is born. <laughs> um, so performance anxiety. And then there's even so many of us come from families where, you know, we look back and we say, I want to do things differently with my child. We make a conscious decision that for whatever reason we want to parent a little bit different but maybe there's also a fear of can I Mm -hmm. can I love this child enough help this child enough build a foundation for this child to grow that is safe and nurturing with my past or with my imperfections or with whatever it is that you've got going on in your own mind Mm -hmm. those things can actually play a part in this process of impacting prodromal labor and and suppressing active labor from happening. The, the client that I said had it for two weeks, every day we were on in contact, she had an abuse history. Oh, she had a trauma history. So a third of women in America, the statistics say have experienced some form of physical or sexual abuse in their lives. And I think like 70% of those go unreported. 
that's so terrible. It, it really is. So we really have to approach our clients with the potential that they have a trauma history, mm-hmm. not push them to expose it, but, you know, knowing, and, and she never, she never fully went into detail with me and I wasn't as trauma aware or trauma informed as I am now, but I knew enough then to know that what she had experienced as a young person was impacting her labor and that what she needed from me was daily encouragement, support, soothing until she felt comfortable enough with what was happening in her own body to be able to let labor actually happen. And it wasn't that she didn't want labor to happen. It was this underlying psychological kind of emotional baggage. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, any of us who have experienced a difficult event, we know that we tighten our muscles. Mm. We go into a protective posture physically. And that's going to impact physically what happens to our bodies as pregnancy heads into labor and birth. So it's the psychological aspect is really something that needs to be taken into consideration. It's not just go sit on your ball and do hula hoop movements or go lunge or, you know, Mm -hmm. have lots and lots of sex. (laughs) Right. That's always the the number one piece of advice that, well, that was the number one piece of advice that I got when I was experiencing the prodromal labor and it drove me absolutely crazy. And it just, it sheds light on how important it can be to have a doula, a support person, because there's things that you may not want to talk to your, you know, health practitioner about, or you you don't really have typically have access to reach out to them every single day. <laughs> you know, the one experience of the client that got dropped by the doctor, you know, you just, you don't always have that comfort level there. And it's so important to be able to get those feelings and emotions out, because like you said, a lot of times it comes from a deeper place than just the uncertainty of all things labor and delivery. Right, right. And so I, doulas really help to bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we really do. And, I, and I'm not saying that you have to have, you know, doulas are not therapists. We are not qualified mm-hmm. to go down that journey with our clients. Um, so it's not that, you know, we're going to go through, you know, an emotional processing of your trauma with you per se. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be like, well, I see that your labor is having trouble starting. What happened to you when you were a little girl? You know, (laughs) we're not doing that. What we're saying is, could there be something in the back of your mind that is hanging on to staying pregnant? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or at least providing ways to relieve the discomfort of being in this prolonged state of pre-labor. I mean, even that can just, that can be so helpful because no one wants to go to the hospital and, you know, feel like you're in labor, get turned away, then you go back and get, so it's so nice to have someone to bounce like, Hey, I'm feeling this or, Hey, I'm feeling like that. Okay. I took a bath and it went away or I started baking and it went away. You know, some things that maybe doctors or nurses may not suggest or recommend, not saying that they wouldn't, but just things that they may not um, 
have the capacity to to work through with the expectant you know the the person that's expecting right yeah and it may not even be something as significant as a trauma it may just be Mm -hmm. something as mundane as i i'm not ready yet you know the crib didn't come in the mail yet i'm not Mm -hmm. ready yet for this baby to come you know i i i my maternity leave doesn't start yet or Mm -hmm. my partner's paternity leave isn't starting yet or you know it could be something as simple as that this kind of mental block that is is causing tension within the body mm-hmm. that is increasing the stress hormones that is suppressing the labor hormones and if that can be acknowledged like yeah and like i said not that we're going to sit down on the couch with our clients and say tell me all of your deepest darkest secrets no it's more like yes these are very big concerns but when your baby does come whether it's tomorrow or in a week all your baby's going to need is you. Yep. The crib can wait. You may mm-hmm. not even want to put the baby in the crib right away. Mm-hmm. The baby just needs you. So as long as they've got you, they've got a source of nourishment, they have a clean diaper, cloth or disposable, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's all they really need at the very, very mm-hmm. beginning. And if you can give them that, then you can give them everything. Mm-hmm. And... Sometimes just taking that level of responsibility that marketing has put on birth givers today, you have yeah. to have your nursery completely set up and magazine ready before your baby can come. And all of the clothes have to be washed and pressed and hung in the closet <laughs> and color coordinated and sized properly. You know, mm-hmm. those kinds of concerns really can inhibit labor because they increase anxiety. So whether it's mundane, whether it is a significant experience that may be causing you some consideration, you know, some concerns, the whole thing is the more support that you have, the the safer you feel, the better your body will respond to whatever labor hormones it is putting out, whether it's just a little and it's just to help nudge your baby into a better position or whether it's a larger amount that's actually going to cause progression with cervix dilation and baby moving down into your your cervix and getting ready for birth. Either way, the more supported you are and the more relaxed you are, the easier your body is going to be able to respond. Yeah, that is so true. And there's so many, so many of the things that you were saying, I'm like, yes, 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 and that because it's so true. One of the things that I really enjoy doing and I don't know if it's still on there. So I apologize if I'm um, giving information that's not accurate. But on Netflix, there was the babies documentary. And I watched that when I was expecting actually for both of my kids. So it shows, I believe, like four babies um, throughout their lives in different parts of the world. And you see how some of them you know, they have the deluxe stroller that has all the bells and whistles. And then um, in some countries, the in one of the countries, the, um, the mother for leaving from the hospital after having delivered the baby hopped on the back of a motorcycle. <laughs> and that was the norm there. And then they, you know, at home, the other one, it was, they, they didn't even have any of those, um, you know, sort of like automobiles and things like that. But all the babies hit the same milestones, developmental milestones at the same time. Yeah. And I just think that is so interesting because really when you peel it all away, you're so right. Baby just needs you. And 
that that does take kind of um, the weight off of your shoulders when you think about that, that you are what they need. And it kind of removes that mental block to help you proceed and, and have a successful delivery, whatever, however that may look like to, to you. But yeah, it's so interesting to me. Yeah, it's, um, it's really so, I think, it, barring a physical issue, and, and prodromal labor could be physically because baby needs to be in a better position. And we're, we're not talking head down, head up, although that could be, mm-hmm. but it's more head position within your pelvis. So, you know, we're not going to get into all the mechanism of birth. Suffice it to say that baby needs to go through two openings in a, in a pelvis in order to come out vaginally. And the baby needs to start off flexing its neck so that the largest, heaviest, biggest part of the baby's head is what's putting pressure on the internal portion of the cervix. And that's what causes the thinning and the opening. So it could be a, a mechanical issue, and that could mm-hmm. be what your body is recognizing baby needs some help with the mechanism of birth and, and is nudging it into that better position. And it's really a beautiful thing that you, it oh, it's, it's just, <laughs> it just gets my juices flowing to know that a birth giver's body is communicating with a baby that way without anything else. It's just a Mm -hmm. hormonal kind of, Hey baby, it's almost time, but I can tell that you need a little bit of help. I'm going to do a little bit of work to get you there and then we'll rest for a while. And then I might help you do a little more work if you need it. And then we'll rest for a while. And that may happen for a couple of days, like with you before Mm -hmm. the actual onset of labor. And it really is a beautiful thing because if labor were to just go full board, and baby was not in that ideal position, that could be a much harder way for both the birth giver and the baby to go during labor. Absolutely. And that's the other thing is if you're experiencing prodromal labor at the very beginning and it's exhausting and it's frustrating and it's aggravating, usually once labor hits, it goes pretty fast and pretty well, all things considered, you know, and fast being relative, Mm -hmm. Fast for a first-time mom is going to be like six hours, <laughs> mm-hmm. so relatively fast. But um, but yeah, it can really it can really make that difference. So, um, but if it's not a me- a mechanism issue, if it if it's really is an emotional issue, then talking it out, having you know, like I said, with your partner maybe, but a doula for sure, talking it out and just saying these are some of my concerns. I have these fears about. You know, there are so many women that are afraid of losing control in labor, mm. especially during the pushing phase. And that in and of itself may be what's preventing the onset of labor to come. You know, mm-hmm. so just talking it through, being able to voice those concerns, even if those concerns have no real tangible solution, just getting them out and working through them can be enough to relax you. And then a doula can help the birth giver to recognize things that are within her control and things that are not, you know, Mm -hmm. you can't control what nurse you're going to have. You can't control whether your doctor, your midwife is on call for you. You can't control the pandemic, but you can control how much you eat or drink. You can control whether or not you take a bath. 
Yeah. You know, you can control having enough gas in your car. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Nobody, <laughs> please put put please put gas in your vehicle. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to stop at the gas station on the way. <laughs> yep, like I did. Yeah, did you really? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which baby did you have to stop at the gas station? With Harper, yes, we had to stop at the gas station, and it was, oh, I was so frustrated. I mean, in the throes of contractions, and I'm holding on to the handle in the car, and my husband is putting gas in the car, and I'm sure people were looking at me like I was absolutely, I mean, I was like hollering, oh, yep, 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 yep. So, oh, no. <laughs> So, put fuel in the car. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> the other thing is, like I said, reassuring that, you know, eventually you will go into labor. Eventually you will have this baby. I, I can't even count how many times I have told my uh, my clients, there's not a birth giver on the face of the planet that has been pregnant for her entire life. <laughs> you know, eventually mm-hmm. you will have this baby. Um, so patience is really important. Nourishment is really important. Sleeping well as well as you can. Um, for some, that means sleeping in a recliner chair. Honestly, it, you just sleep where you can. Mm-hmm. The other benefit of having a doula, and mm-hmm. I, I did this with one client. She went to the hospital. She got sent back. It was her third baby. So the, you know, the, we have a saying in the birth world that third babies are wild cards. There's no, there's no way to guess what the third mm-hmm. baby is going to do. And the next day you know, she called me and we had been in contact with each other. So I knew that she had gone to the hospital and had been sent home. I think she might've been the client that we went to the hospital and stayed all night together. And when morning came, we went down to the cafeteria, we got something to eat. Everything had stopped. Like I knew halfway through the night, because I was there with them halfway through the night, I knew that this wasn't labor, but I wasn't going to tell them that, let them sleep through the whole night. So the, Mm -hmm. the next morning we went, we walked around the hospital a little bit. We went down, we got breakfast And we went back up and the nurses were like, okay, here's the deal. Your water is not broken. Your contractions have stopped. You are dilated, but you haven't changed since you came in last night. You can stay if you want to, but you really could go home. So she said, I miss my, she had other kids. I miss my kids. I want to go home. She went home. Mm -hmm. They had a great night. They, they slept, they spent the whole day with their kids. They took a nap. They slept that night. And then she called me. And she was worried. It was like two in the morning and she was worried that this was going to be another run. And now she's got older kids, right? So she's got, you know, childcare to work out. And Mm -hmm. I could tell the difference in her voice. And I said, okay, well, why don't we do this? Why don't I meet you at the hospital? We don't have to go. It was a nice night. It wasn't like now where it's 30 degrees Mm -hmm. at night. It was a nice night. I said, (laughs) why don't we meet at the hospital? Because you've already got your kids in the car. You're not going to put them back in because she mm-hmm. was going to drop them off with the sitter. I said, um, but once she like sat in the car, she started thinking, is this real? Do I really want to, you know? So mm-hmm. I said, well, let's all, let's just meet at the hospital. I want to, I want to see you. Let me see you. Let me see if there's a difference in how you were yesterday. And mm-hmm. we got to the hospital and we walked around the parking lot for like a couple of contractions. And I said to her, I think you should call the sitter and have her come get your kids because I think you're in labor and I think you're going to have a baby. That is awesome. She was really unsure because she didn't, you know, when you get told once that you're not actually in labor after you've made all the arrangements and gone to the hospital, that's another head game. Yes, it is. So she really didn't want to like 
go into the hospital and go up to the birthing ward. And I told her, I said, we can wait. We, we, why don't we go up there? We're on the grounds already. So we're that much closer, but why don't we actually go up there and just hang out? Now this is pre COVID. Obviously this is several years ago, Mm -hmm. hang out in the waiting room, the family waiting room and see what happens. And that way we're just down the hall, but I think you should at least let your midwife know. (laughs) And we did. And we went up there and she didn't want to go into the birthing ward until her husband came up with her, which is understandable. And he was waiting for the sitter. And we were in there long enough that the midwife who had my number, she called me and she's like, are you guys still here? I'm like, yeah, we're still here. We're still here. We're still in the waiting room. She's doing a great job. We're just waiting for her husband to come up and then we'll all come in. But trust me, if anything changes, we will be running down this hall. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, it all worked out, but, and that, you know, So that's kind of the physical aspect of doula work that we are now missing with COVID. But if I had that client today, and if we were going through it today, now we have video. So Mm -hmm. I would just say, okay, put me on. I want to, I want to see you. We wouldn't have even had to like go to the hospital and walk around the grounds. I would be like, put me on video. Let me see you. Let me watch you for a little bit. So doula support Mm -hmm. right now, even if it's virtual, can still get you through the prodroma labor, can still help you differentiate between labor that's not quite ready to go and labor that is ready to go. And I really, you know, I know obviously I'm a doula and I'm going to be pushing doula support, but it really does make a big difference whether you have it physical or virtual. It, It is one support person that is not emotionally as invested in your birth as your partner and is experienced and can help you in the moment figure out what might make you more comfortable and figure out whether or not this warrants a trip to the facility to the hospital or birthing center. And that validation and confirmation, whether it's that, you know, yeah, maybe not right now, or yes, you should go, that it, it is it is so valuable that just that input is so valuable. Yeah. Yeah. So wrapping it up, we'll just repeat that labor is as much a psychological event as it is a physical one. And the more relaxed and supported that a birth giver is, the more open air body. And make sure you have gas in your car. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Very, very, very important. Make sure you have gas in your car. Very good. Yeah. All right. This is wonderful. Well, thank you for making sure we covered this not covered enough topic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was fantastic. And we will see you all in three weeks. Thanks for joining us again on another episode of doula to doula. Don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app.